Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. When God comes into our life and when He blesses, He blesses uh, spiritually, but He also blesses in other ways, physically and financially. God said to Abraham, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit about Abraham this morning. And in fact, for the, um, I'm, I'm going to do sort of a series of three sermons on, on Abraham. This, this first one is Abraham and mission. But when God blessed Abraham, he didn't only say that Abraham was a man of faith and that God saved Abraham spiritually and into relationship and into covenant with him. It also said, uh, it says in Genesis um, 13 that, that Abraham became very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. In other words, God's blessing encompasses every aspect of our lives, um, the spiritual as well as the, the physical. And um, a paradigm shift is a great way of us getting involved and helping with that. If, you know, if, if, people, if people in South Africa um, get, get the gospel, but, but they, they're not able to take care of their families... Um, I, don't, I don't think God would be very pleased with that situation. Um, he, he wants both. He wants people's lives changing on, on all levels. Um, and sitting here, we actually have amazing uh, capabilities and capacity. We can really make a difference. And we already are, I believe, but we can always make more of a difference in, uh, in people's lives. So, okay, I want to uh, share a little bit about Abraham. I remember that's my lovely family up there, my wife Rochelle and our beautiful kids, and um, Abraham was uh, sent by God on a mission. God said, I'll bless you and I'll make you a blessing. And we all need a mission. I remember watching a, a movie with my wife. She's, she's quite into uh, Jane Austen. So <laughs> I've learned to love Jane Austen movies and, and books as well. <laughs> Uh, and um, I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Northanger Abbey or something, but it's, it's this story. And in the story, there's this older brother, um, and when he was young, he asked his dad, Dad, give me a mission. Give me a mission that's, that means something, a, a, a heroic, a noble mission. And um, his dad's business ended up being, um, they had cotton plantations and so on in... in um, in, in, in America somewhere, um, in, in the Caribbean actually, and uh, the, they were worked by slaves. And when he actually went to the business and found how extremely unjustly these slaves were being treated, how they were being exploited, how they were being abused, how the women were being raped and so on, he, this, this, this older brother just lost complete faith because his dad did give him a mission, but it wasn't a mission that was just. It wasn't a mission that was good. It was actually a mission that was evil. And he ended up in the story being a, um, being a, a gambler and alcoholic. Because when that sense of mission, when that sense of meaning that comes with mission was taken away, and when the mission that he, that he was on w- was found to be an unjust mission, um, he, he just felt like he didn't have anything to live for. In life, and, and, I, and I really think we all need that, that sense of mission in our lives. And, and church is a community of mission. It's a missional community, a community on a mission, on God's mission. And I, I just want you to, to realize how important mission is to God. Um, 
the mission of God actually preceded the church of God. Did you know that? Or like Chris Wright says it uh, in, in some of his books, um, he says, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. Uh, another theologian, Emil Brunner, Brunner, says, the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. In other words, church is fundamentally essentially a missional community, a community that's together on a mission, a family that's together on a mission and together on God's mission. And the idea of church as missional community comes uh, from the text that, uh, that we're going to read today in Genesis 18, where, where, God, where God sends, or where God reminds himself, as it were, of Abraham and the mission that God has for, for him. So let's just, let's just read that text. In uh, Genesis 18 from the 16 to 21. Um, and it's a, it's a bit of a strange text. And I'm going to, like I said, for the next three times I preach, I'm going to sort of be standing still at this uh, text. Uh, this morning I'm going to talk about Abraham and mission. The next time about Abraham and prayer. There's this very interesting prayer where he says, where God's going to, because God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, as we're going to see, see, we're about to judge them. And, and Abraham has this conversation with God. But God, if there are 50 righteous people in the city, or 40, or 30, or 10 even, you know, will you, will you save it? So, so amazing paradigm for us for prayer, really profound. And then, um, of course, um, uh, and then I'm going to talk about Abraham and, and salvation. But let's, let's just read this text. Um, then the men, because three men, we just seem like three random visitors. Uh, when the men set out from there, uh, they, they came to Abraham and, and Abraham fed them. And, and it says, when they set out from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Ab- Abraham went with them and, uh, and set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether... Uh, they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Interesting, just a little side note. Uh, modern people say, um, you know, if you, people who speak to themselves are crazy. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> well, here God speaks to himself. This is a divine soliloquy. This is God speaking to himself. He's sort of musing, you know, and speaking to himself. And God's not the only one in the Bible that speaks to himself. David spoke to himself. Remember? Be still my soul and know that he's God. Many biblical characters speak to themselves. In fact, I think it's a very good idea to speak to yourself. I think it's very healthy. And I think uh, many, even motivational speakers, you know, who are not Christian are discovering that, you know, sometimes you need to give yourself a, a good pep talk. So the, the world is discovering that you're not crazy by speaking to yourself. But, I mean, we knew it because God showed it to us. Um, but in Genesis 18, verse, verse 16 to 21, uh, it, it's all about the mission of God in the life of Abraham, and, and, and it reveals to us just three things I want to focus on. And I'm going to do them in reverse order, sort of 
in, in the reverse order that they appear in the text. Uh, firstly, God's missional promise to Abraham. Secondly, God's missional people from Abraham. And thirdly, God's missional grace to Abraham. So let's, uh, let's jump in there and, and look at that. And just uh, oops, get my notes. So, God's uh, missional promise to Abraham. God has always been on a mission to bless humanity. Did you, did you see the word blessing being used in the text that we read? And that has always been God's mission to actually create a blessed humanity. Right at the beginning, in Genesis 1. God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he, when he speaks to them, he says, it, it says in, in, in Genesis 1 verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and rule over it. Okay? He first blessed them and then he said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he put his blessing upon them. He deposited, as it were, his blessing upon them and then said, now multiply and multiply that blessing and fill the earth with that blessing. And God's purpose all along was to create a blessed community that fulfilled the earth with his blessing. But the reason why, what was the reason why God could bless Adam and Eve? Think about that for a moment. Okay, we're going to talk uh, in a little while about what blessing is. So, um, the, and the good news is that even after uh, we sin against him, against God. God still wants to bless us. In, in, in Galatians 3 verse 8, uh, just on the next slide, um, it says, referring to God's interaction with Abraham, uh, Paul writes, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, or the nations by faith, preached the gospel before unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. You see, Abraham, uh, Paul, the apostle, calls what God says here to Abraham, the gospel, the good news. The good news that even after that God initially blessed mankind and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then even after mankind sinned and disobeyed God, God still made a plan, and Abraham's part of that plan, by which he could still bless the nations. By which he could still pour out his blessing and fill the earth, as it were, with his blessing. But um, what is blessing? And, and why can't God just bless everyone? Why could God bless Adam and Eve and say, bless them and say, be fruitful and multiply? And why can't God just bless everyone? So let's just talk a bit. What is blessing? Just turn to someone next to you and I just want to, to explain to them in, in your understanding of what blessing and cursing is. Just very briefly. Just turn to the person next to you in 30 seconds. Explain to them what, what blessing is and what cursing is. Many, many modern people, uh, especially more Western people, struggle with, uh, with the concept of blessing because it, it seems very spiritual and, and, that, and that kind of thing. But, I mean, we're Africans we have no problem with that, right? <laughs> we have no problem with blessing and cursing. We understand. We know where it comes from and we know it's real. And here's my definition. Uh, and you can sort of measure your definition uh, for blessing and cursing against it and see where you, uh, agree, whether you agree with it. But I think blessing is a supernatural positive influence on someone's life that causes them to flourish and increase. 
And cursing is the opposite of that. It's a supernatural negative influence on someone's life that causes them um, to, to wither and decrease. Now, now, let's get back to the question, why could God bless Adam and Eve? You see, God has to bless that which he wants to increase and flourish. And he has to curse that which he wants to wither and decrease. So God can only bless that which actually reflects him. Because only what reflects him is good. And because Adam and Eve were created in his image, he could bless them and say, be fruitful and multiply. Increase. Flourish. In other words, multiply my image, multiply my character, multiply my goodness in the earth. But where there is evil, which is harmful to people, which hurts people, which exploits, which oppresses, which uh, damages, which kills, God doesn't want that to increase. He cannot bless that. It would be irresponsible and cruel if he blessed that and caused that to increase. So what does God do instead? He curses it so that it withers away and decreases. And that's why blessing and cursing is necessary. Because we understand, yeah, blessing, we can understand why, why that's necessary. But why is cursing necessary? God has to curse that which is evil in, co- in order to get it to decrease and wither away. It's his love that causes God to curse. Have you ever thought about that? In his love, God curses that which is damaging and destructive and harmful and evil so that it can decrease. And that's why God could bless Adam and Eve because they were in his image. They reflected his image. But then, of course, they fell away from his image. And now God has a problem because now he has human beings that are in some way still in his image, but that image has been severely tainted through sin and through evil. But God still wants to bless He still wants the people that he created and that he loves to flourish. So how is he going to solve that that problem? Um, When people live in a world where they don't know who God is, what he's like, what his character is like, so that they can live according to it and receive God's blessing, how is he going to solve that problem? Well, as Chris Wright says... If the nations are to be blessed, if the nations are to be blessed, then God's people must walk in God's ways. What God blesses is His ways. And that's what the, the, the text says uh, that we read. Let me just uh, read it again. It says, For I've chosen him, I've chosen Abraham, okay? I've chosen Abraham by grace. Um, and then it says, That. Or so that, there's a purpose clause there, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. That was by being like God, so that the Lord may bring to, uh, to Abraham what he has promised him, the blessing of the nations. Can you see that the existence of the people of God who walk in the ways of God by doing righteousness and justice, in other words, a, a, as it were, a prophetic um, contrast community that shows the way of God, the way of righteousness and justice, the way that God blesses, so that the rest of humanity can become part of it and become part of God's blessing. You see, the, just remember the context here. Just remember the context. 
God is on his way. Now, God doesn't have to go somewhere to judge or to see, you know, whether the outcry against Sodom is as bad. But um, what God is, how are we going to know? How are we going to know what God was about to do if he didn't show us? If he didn't sort of say, if he thought what he was, what he was going to do, we wouldn't know. But if he speaks to himself, then we can hear. You know, it can be recorded and we can hear. And if he goes, by, by going, God is showing, I'm serious about justice. I'm going to do a formal investigation and find whether it's so. I'm going to take it seriously. But then I'm going to judge. So God is on his way to judge a very particular evil city. But on the way, he stops to remind himself of his universal purpose to bless, to bless all cities and all nations. It's, in other words, it's as though God cannot do the one with the other. He's going to judge, but it's, it's like he cannot go and judge without also stopping to remind himself that even the reason why he judges is to redeem, to save. God will judge a specific city, but in order to save all cities. Because either the injustice of Sodom will spread or the justice of God will spread. The injustice of Sodom is what we need to be saved from. The justice of God is what we need to be saved into. Um, In other words, here's the thing. The way of God, the way of Yahweh, is here being contrasted to the way of Sodom, the way of the world. And where God's way is a way of righteousness and justice, Sodom's way, as we're going to see, is a way of unrighteousness and injustice, of exploitation. Okay, so so God can only bless the way of Yahweh and cause it to flourish. He can only, and he must curse the way of Sodom and cause it to wither. And God calls a people to live in a world that follows the way of Sodom according to the way of Yahweh, according to the way of the Lord. So like Abraham, we must live among nations who follow the way of Sodom, but we must live as a community according to the way of the Lord. And I just want you to notice here, as um, Hanu was also saying in the beginning, mission is not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. It's a communal thing. Abraham's mission, which has now become our mission, is not for Abraham alone. Abraham's mission is for Abraham and his children and his household, and it must be handed over from generation to generation. And in those days, families weren't the sort of small nuclear family that we mostly have today in a household. It was an extended family. Not only parents and children, but grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, um, slaves, servants, massive extended family. In other words, people who were a lot different from you. I mean, in any household, there would have been Abraham and then it would have been other nations represented just in his household already. Okay, And God, God says, I want a community that represents the nations to reflect my way into which the nations can be saved, into which the nations can be drawn. Um, and, and here I just want to stand still and, and, and really encourage you. We are such a community. We are that Abrahamic family. And you cannot fulfill your mission apart from this extended Abrahamic family. 
You cannot. I heard one guy say once, because um, it's, it's become quite fashionable for, for many Christians, especially in the West, not to go to church, to sort of see church as an optional. You know, it's Jesus and I can sort of do this Christian thing all by ourselves. Um, I, I, I mean, if you just think about all the scriptures in, in the Bible that says, love one another, serve one another. I'd like to see you one another yourself. <laughs> How do you one another yourself? But one guy, Tim Challis, said that whoever fails, Christians who fail to go to church, shoot themselves in the foot. They shoot their children in the leg and they shoot their grandchildren in the heart. And, and, and statistically, that's what's being found. You know, Christians who don't go to church, they might have still built up sort of what they needed to sort of last them a couple of years, but their children haven't. And their children sort of limp in the Christian life. And their grandchildren end up usually not being Christians at all because they don't have that extended family that they need to really, I almost want to say, build them in to God's family. So, you know, God needs a community in order to fulfill his mission in the world. Uh, because the way of Sodom is, is an evil way, um, God has to, has to curse it. I just want to read to you, I think I have it up there. Let me just see. Ezekiel 16, verse 49 and 50. Um, it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. And um, I just want to read to you what, what uh, Chris Wright says about that because I, I really like his, um, his discussion of it. He says, when it says the outcry... Um, against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grievous. Uh, and I'll go down and see uh, whether what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Um, he says, um, the term, the Hebrew term, uh, uh, is a technical term for a cry of pain or the cry for help from those who are being oppressed and violated. Uh, it, it is a word used for the Israelites crying out under the slavery of Egypt in, in Exodus 2. Uh, the psalmist used it when appealing to God uh, to hear their cry against unjust treatment, like in Psalm um, 40, 34. Most graphically of all, it is the scream for help of a woman being raped, like in Deuteronomy 22, verse 24 and 27. As early as Genesis 13, verse 13, we are told that the men of Sodom were wicked and that they sinned greatly against the Lord. Here, uh, that sin is identified as oppression from uh, for that is what the word outcry immediately indicates. Some people in, our, uh, in or near Sodom were suffering and, uh, to such an extent that they were crying out against their oppressor's cruelty. And in Ezekiel um, 16, we saw that, and many other scriptures in the Old Testament, you see that Sodom becomes a paradigm of human society at its worst. It becomes... You know, God would say to, to Jerusalem or to Babylon, you are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Meaning that you, you've really 
gone down low and you will be judged like them. Um, Ezekiel even uh, more graf- caustically compares uh, Judah unfavorably to Sodom. He says, you're worse than Sodom. Describing Sodom's sin as arrogance, affluence, and callousness to the needy. They are overproud, overfed, and underconcerned. A very modern-sounding list of accusations. So, from the wider Old Testament witness, we can, we can clearly see that Sodom is used as a paradigm, a, modern, a model for human society at its worst. At the same time, the name Sodom spoke of the inevitable and comprehensive judgment of God upon such wickedness. Sodom was the place filled with oppression, cruelty, violence, perversion, perverted sexuality, uh, idolatry, pride, and greedy consumption. And it was a place empty of compassion and care for the needy, a model indeed for a fallen world uh, that we still live in. And that's not all. We see that in Paul's time, in Romans 1, verse 18, he makes a list of sins which include all of the above. In other words, he's saying the world is like Sodom. And then more than that, uh, he says at the beginning of that section, in, in Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being poured out from heaven against all unrighteousness and wickedness of men just like the wrath of God was poured out from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment of of their sin. So the point I'm trying to make is we as God's people um, live in a world like Sodom and we must live according to the way of the Lord, just like Abraham. We are called, our mission Here's the thing. Our mission is to live according to the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice because that is what God can and will bless. In other words, we are the means by which God's mission of getting blessing to the world is accomplished. The world cannot be blessed apart from us. The world can only be blessed if it joins us in following the way of the Lord and doing righteousness and justice. Um, Righteousness and, and justice... Righteousness... What does it mean? Let me just try and define it quickly. Righteousness means to, that something, um, for something to be straight or right. So accurate measures are called measures or weights of righteousness. They're accurate weights. Okay? Or uh, sheep in Psalm 23 that walk in straight paths, they're called paths of righteousness that are as they should be. Okay, so, so righteousness is being in a state of what you should be. Okay? Justice is a process of making things right. So in other words, um, maybe I can, I can put it this way. And you just see. Um, right defines it nicely. Let me just read his definition. He says, so um, justice is what needs to be done in a given situation if people and circumstances are to be restored to conformity with righteousness. Justice is, is a set of actions, something you do. Righteousness uh, is a state of affairs, something you are or aim to achieve. And those are the ways of God. Righteousness and justice, the ways of Yahweh, is what God blesses. And the only way that God can teach it to the world is through us, by putting it on display, to put his ways, the way he is, on display in us. Now, 
here's the challenge. As part of God's mission, are we, number one, walking in his ways like Abraham? And are we, number two, teaching his ways of righteousness and justice to our children, to our households, to one another? Have you thought of the fact that the way you live is part of God's mission? Is, in fact, the means by which God accomplishes his mission? Now, here's a bit of a problem. Obviously, Abraham, in a sense, represents righteousness and justice, walking in the ways of the Lord. Um, And Abraham's example of walking in the way of the Lord is recorded for us in the Bible to inspire us to walk in that way. But also, it's recorded, in a sense, in Abraham's descendants because he teaches it to them. And it's put on display so those who won't read can see Okay? But here's the problem I have. Note the tension. I see a, a, a deep tension between, on the one hand, the certainty that this mission of God will be accomplished, on the one hand. In other words, it seems to be um, unconditional on the one hand. But also, it seems to be dependent upon our behavior. In other words, it seems to be dependent on the behavior of sinful people like Abraham. <laughs> In other words, in that sense, it seems to be conditional. So the promise seems to be both unconditional and conditional at the same time. Okay, let, me, let, me, let me try and put it this way. How can the promises of God, on the one hand, be unconditional? It says, what I've promised to Abraham, and it says, he will surely become. Now, when it says he will surely become, it says, to be, literally in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's a repetition. It says, become, become, or to become, become. So when the Hebrew wants to emphasize something and, and say that it's certain and sure, it repeats it. Okay? So God says in no uncertain terms that Abraham will most certainly, surely become a great and powerful nation through which all the nations will be blessed. So there seems to be absolute certainty. That is the promise. It seems to be unconditional. But then it says, I've chosen him so that he might walk in my ways by doing righteousness and justice, so that I can bring about. So the so that says, no, it's dependent on Abraham's behavior and the behavior of his descendants. And we know that that behavior is not always perfect. Abraham, on two occasions, lied about Sarah being his, his, his wife. He said, he's my sister, which was true, but obviously she was more than his sister, and he got in trouble every time for that. Uh, remember, he was also the man who uh, took uh, Sarah's advice and slept with Hagar, uh, her concubine, in order to get the son to help God fulfill his promises, you know, to give him a son <laughs> in his own strength. Abraham was far from perfect, just like us. So how can God's unconditional promises be conditional and dependent upon fallen sinful people and still come to pass? How can it be unconditional, conditional at the same time? Can you feel the tension? <laughs> can you see the, the, the problem? Both are true. They are dependent. But they are also unconditional. Because one of Abraham's descendants, referred to as the seed of Abraham, was Jesus Christ. And he was the one descendant of Abraham who fully walked in the way of the Lord and fully did 
righteousness and justice. Did what was right. Did what was, what was perfect. And I want you to notice God's missional grace in this. God gave himself as one of Abraham's descendants, as it were. Because he knew Abraham's descendants wouldn't be able to fully do what he's called them to do and walk in his ways and portray his ways to the world. So he became one of Abraham's descendants and did it himself, in a sense. But also, he gives, God's, uh, he gives Abraham grace. Notice, it says in the beginning, I have chosen Abraham. Okay? Literally, in the, in the Hebrew, it, some of your translations might say, it, I have known Abraham. Okay? And chosen is an acceptable translation of it, but I think there's more to it than that, because those of you who've read the Old Testament will know that often the Bible would say something like in Genesis 4 verse 1, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and had a son, Cain. In other words, the knowing there implies knowing intimately, and even in a sense, in a way that conceives something in the person that you know. In the sense of impregnating. In other words, I'm going to know, I've known Abraham intimately and impregnated him with my purpose, with my mission, with my ability to fulfill it. And we actually see it in Abraham's name. Okay? If you look at Abraham's name, his name wasn't always Abraham, remember? His name was initially Abraham. Not Abraham, but Abraham. How did he get from Abraham to Abraham? God gave him the name Abraham, but, but how did he get the name Abraham? Where does it come from? Is it just a random change from Abraham to Abraham? No. If you take the name in Hebrew, Abraham, and you take the consonants of God's name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H in the Hebrew, and you fit Y-H-W-H, the, the name Yahweh, God's name, into Abraham's name, then you get the name Abraham. So Abraham is his old name plus God's name. Now, where do we see this happening today? Where someone takes someone else's name? In the covenant of marriage. Right? If a woman marries a man, then she takes his name. In other words, what it's saying to us is that God has added, in a sense, covenantally married Abraham and in a sense married us, made us his bride, made us his family so that we take his name upon us and then he has known us. He has in a sense impregnated us with the ability to do what we couldn't do in our own strength. He's given us the grace to be able to walk in his ways according to Righteousness and justice. And to be that contrast community in the world that puts God's ways on display. God's ways that he wants to bless. And that draws the nations in. And praise God, we have the nations represented here. If you just sort of scan your eyes across us, we have the nations represented here. Because we are that family of Abraham. We are the heirs of Abraham. And all of that through Jesus um, his son. So, to to close off with, um, 
God gave Abraham and, by extension, us. Because even if you're not a Jew and you're not ethnically or genetically related to Abraham, the Bible says in um, Galatians 3 at the end that those who have our faith are Abraham's seed. Those who have faith in Christ Jesus are, are part of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, we become part of Abraham's family. So, so God gave Abraham missional grace, covenant, conception, missional grace to be the missional people who fulfill the missional promise of God to bless all the nations. That, that's been God's plan all along. He wants to bless the nations. And we are the vehicle by which he's going to do it. And our obedience is the vehicle through which he's going to do it. And he, by his grace, empowers our obedience. He doesn't just leave us to our own devices. In other words, unlike that young man that I mentioned in the beginning that said, Father, give me a mission. Give me a noble mission. Give me a good mission. And he got an evil mission. And he lost hope. We have a noble mission. We have a good mission. We have a mission to walk in the ways of Yahweh, to reflect his image, to represent him in the world, and to draw all the nations into the blessing that results from that obedience, just like Abraham did. That's a good mission. That's a good mission. I just want you to close your eyes from a moment for a moment. And I, and I just want you to realize <clears throat> that, or to remind yourself that mission, the mission of God, is about the way that we live. It, mission is not something that we go to do. It's not something that we go on. It's something that we live. Like I like to, uh, as I like to say, live everywhere as though God sent you there. Live everywhere as though God sent you there. And I just want to ask you, are you living everywhere as though God sent you there? Are you living everywhere in the way of the Lord? Representing God, reflecting His image. I know you cannot do that in your own strength. I cannot either. The extent to which we know God or are known by God, in other words, experience intimacy with God, will determine the extent to which we can live everywhere as though God sent us there. Will determine the extent to which we can walk in the way of the Lord. In other words, the, the extent to which we receive His missional grace will determine the extent to which we can be His missional people who fulfill His missional promise of bringing blessing to all nations. So if you say, like I have to say this morning, yes, to some extent I'm walking in the ways of Yahweh, but I know I can do better then I realize what I need is more. In order to be his missional people, I need more of his missional grace. That's what I need. And if you need that this morning, I just want you to ask him. Just close your eyes and say, Lord, I need more of you. I need more intimacy with you. 
I need more of your empowering presence. I need to be known by you. I want to be known by you. I want you to impregnate me with your pres- with your purposes and with your mission. Remind yourself. Remember like God spoke to himself? Speak to yourself and remind yourself that you carry God's name. Like Abraham, you carry his name. If you are in Christ, you carry God's name. Jesus is the one who draws us into God's family. If you're in Christ, if you're born again, you carry God's name. If you don't, come and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to pray with you and introduce you to him and uh, do that wedding ceremony. I have a a marriage license. (laughs) I can help you. Just ask God for His grace. Just in your own words, close your eyes and ask God for His grace. Say, God, help me to live everywhere as though you sent me there. Help me to walk in your ways. church are your mission in the world reflecting your image in the world and and we just thank you Lord that that we can be part of such a noble, such a great mission Lord in, in a sense it's too big for us to even imagine Lord blessing, being a blessing to all the nations but we believe that you are busy using us to do that Lord I just want to pray for every person that is discouraged that is in despair, that is maybe feeling a sense of meaninglessness because they haven't fully embraced your mission yet. Please help us to embrace your mission in Jesus' name. Sorry, I just want to close with one quick story that I heard of a, and I've told it before, of an old lady who was very wealthy, very well off, um, but she struggled extremely with depression she went for counseling and so on and um, the counselor realized what was going on she was living just for herself and he said to her go there's the soup kitchen go there it's open on these days of the week and go and help feed the poor and she actually went and just that going to serve others because she was like Sodom over proud over fed under concerned and just going out and being a blessing walking according to the ways of Yahweh changed her life and she made it a mission to go and feed the poor and it gave her purpose in life what we were designed for was to be like the one who designed us
So I'm just going to pray a blessing over you and then I want you to go in the blessing of the Lord. If you need prayer, if you need to take God's name upon you and get into covenant with Him, come, I'd like to pray with you. Uh, or if you need prayer for anything else, you're welcome to come forward as well. Father God, I just want to pray your blessing over your people. May the Lord bless you. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.